Hey everyone, it's Beverly Hallberg. Welcome to a special pop-up episode of She Thinks, your favorite podcast from the Independent Women's Forum where we talk with women and sometimes men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care about most. Enjoy. Hi everyone. I'm Jennifer Braceres, director of IWF Center for Law and Liberty, and today I'm joined by Anastasia Bowden from the Pacific Legal Foundation, and we are talking about forced gender quotas for corporate boards. That's where the government requires either public boards or, in some cases, private companies that are regulated by the state to set aside a certain number of board spots for women. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, now, I understand that California is the first state to pass a law requiring um, set-asides for women on boards. And you wrote a fantastic piece earlier this month in the Los Angeles Times where you took issue with this policy. Um, but before you tell us all the things that are wrong with the law, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit of background about what exactly the California law says and what it attempts to accomplish and and what the requirements of that law are. Sure. So last year, the former governor, Jerry Brown, signed into law California's women quota, which requires uh, all public boards that are either incorporated in the state or even those boards of companies that are outside the state but have a headquarters in the state to have at least one woman on their board by the end of 2019. And then that quota will increase to at least two women if there's uh, a five-member board and three women where there's at least a six-member board by the end of 2021. So it's an increasing quota and uh, it has some pretty hefty penalties. You're you're charged a $100,000 fine for the first violation and a $300,000 uh, fine for any subsequent violation, and every empty spot that should under this quota belong to a woman is a separate violation. And, and it's the, interesting. So the violations accumulate each year. So, or that's is right. It, yes. Okay. Um, and how do they plan to enforce it? Do the do the companies have to file um, proof that they've they've complied, or it's just part of their regular corporate filings? How does that work? Yeah, as far as I know, I think there's already a reporting requirement uh, that's going to be imposed where you have to prove that you are in compliance with this, with the Secretary of State's office, just like, you know, all of the other corporate filings that go through that office. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm wondering if this is sort of a solution in search of a problem, right? So, I mean, I know there's still a dearth of women on uh, you know, some of these corporate boards. But my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that we have been making progress in this arena um, sort of through the free market and, and over the course of time. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think women are making gains in the absence of government intervention. They're making gains by themselves. Uh, they're lifting themselves up uh, by the bootstraps. So, for example, between 2010 and 2015, the share of women on public boards increased by 54% globally. Um, I think all told, women hold about 20% of board positions 
uh, of corporations that are on the S&P index. Uh, it's funny because there, there's also been a proposed mandate in Illinois now. A bunch of states are trying to follow suit. And yet in Illinois, every single uh, public company already complies with this sort of quota. So, so yeah, I do think it's a solution in search of a problem. Yeah, voluntarily, you know, just because women are making it there by themselves. And so when we impose a quota like this, we uh, perpetuate a, a stereotype about women that doesn't exist. It says that women aren't making it to the boardroom, that they're constantly being discriminated against, even when they're not. I wonder also if um, some of the reason for the disparity, um, the numerical disparity, you know, has, just has to do with choice and free choice the same way that that the wage gap exists in large measure because of the choices women make in terms of careers and um, wanting to pursue different avenues than than men on average um, does yeah. that play a role I mean, you can imagine that there's some industries where there's just different interest from the genders, or there's certain companies that are maybe geared towards female products that male have uh, males have less of an interest in, or maybe there's even companies that are, you know, uh, male groups or or what have you, um, you know, like church groups or things that are incorporated um, that may be geared towards one gender, and so there's just not an interest from the other side. Um, you know, you're talking about the free choices of women and how that creates disparities. I thought it was interesting that recently Uber did a study about the pay gap because they, they pay their employees blindly. They don't look at the gender. It's just according to an algorithm, right? So they have no control over pay choices. And yet they found out that there was a quote pay gap between men and women. And that was just because women tend to drive slower they choose to drive at different times of the day. You know, they don't feel as comfortable driving at night alone. Um, they take fewer trips. Uh, they're not driving during times when there's, you know, like a three times increase surge pricing, it's called on on the right. pricing of it. So, so women are being paid less, and it's not because of discrimination. It's just because, you know, we make different choices. Right. That's interesting. I had not heard about that Uber study, and I will certainly look it up. I know there's also a study... Uh, out of Harvard, I believe the business school, but I'm not sure, that looked at um, transportation workers, uh, bus drivers in in the Massachusetts or maybe just Boston area. They're all unionized, so they should theoretically um, be paid the same based on the union contract. But what they found was that um, women do not seek out overtime opportunities at the same rate as men because primarily they want to get home to their families. So in the end, the men end up making more, even though it's not because of discrimination. Right. Yeah. I, I found it interesting that Norway has imposed uh, quotas for public boards. In fact, they have a 40% quota for women. And what they found Throughout was the whole country. Right, throughout the entire country. And it, what they found was not that there were all these women who were waiting to be hired and had been discriminated against. It was that actually created a, sort, a shortage of qualified women. And so public companies started switching back to private to avoid the mandate because they were um, in search of people who they felt, you know, were interested or qualified for the position and they didn't want to be fined. So they found that a bunch of corporations just transition back to private rather than having to be subject to the mandate. 
Yeah, there's always a workaround. Whenever they, whenever your government passes a law, the free market finds its workaround, doesn't it? Right, exactly. So, okay, so those are some of um, your policy objections, right, that, that you mentioned that it um, sort of reinforces stereotypes and maybe that it doesn't work because there's, in other countries that have tried it, there have been, you know, companies have found the workaround. But you also talk in your L.A. Times piece about legal objections. And what I thought was really fascinating is that even Jerry Brown, who was the governor who signed the law, said, oh, yeah, this, this, this probably isn't constitutional, but I'm going to sign it anyway. Um, but, so what are the legal problems with laws like this? Yeah, well, uh, the Constitution and the Supreme Court uh, frown upon quotas like this because any time that the government uh, makes distinctions based on characteristics like race or gender, um, it's really inherently offensive, even when they're trying to do it for a good reason. And part of that is because, like we talked about, it reinforces these stereotypes about about the capabilities of, of women or of races that you're trying to help. Um, and it's also because it's, sometimes it's hard to even see if they're really trying to help that group or if there's some nefarious intention um, uh, buried beneath it. So anytime the government makes these classifications, they subject the, the court when scrutinizing a law will subject it to very rigorous scrutiny. And that means that the law has to be narrowly tailored to some important government interest. And I think that here there's, that's the law is not going to pass as governor Jerry Brown admitted, it's not going to pass because, um, it's not, it's not tailored to anything like discrimination because it applies to company regard companies regardless of whether they have discriminated in the past and it applies to whole industries regardless if there's any evidence of discrimination in that industry so you can't really say it's narrowly tailored to that um, and the and the quota is arbitrary it's just picking a number of a hat the government can't say oh we selected this number because we found this amount of discrimination and this is going to remedy it it just picked a number out of a hat um, mm -hmm. so i don't think i don't think it's going to pass constitutional muster now is the pacific legal foundation or any other group that you know of challenging this in court i mean are there legal cases that that will decide the fate of this law we would be very happy to challenge it in court. You know, we have been at the forefront of uh, fighting for equal protection before the law. We take cases like this all the time uh, in the racial context, but uh, here we just haven't found anybody who's willing to speak up and be a plaintiff. I think there's a lot of pressure in California, you know, to conform to this. Nobody wants to be the person to say, Hey, I don't want to put I don't want to be forced to put a woman on my board. I think they think it'll look bad even if they have legitimate reasons, you know, like oh their board size is already maxed out um or there's less interest in their industry or what have you. It's very right. hard to find someone willing to step up. That is a very good point. Um could could a potential male board member who wasn't offered a spot could could that be a potential plaintiff? Or it would have to be the company. Yeah. No, we would we would definitely be interested in looking um, at a at somebody who was you know kicked off their board or removed from the board in order to make way for a woman. Um, 
you know, the law, the companies still have till the end of the year to comply. So we're waiting to see kind of how it all shakes out. But certainly we would encourage somebody to call us because, you know, that's, we exist to protect the constitutional rights of, of people when the government does offensive things like this. So we're very happy to, to consider a lawsuit. Right. And how could somebody get in touch with you um, if they, if, you know, if they, if they thought they had a claim or they wanted to try to fight this? Well, our website is pacificlegal.org. Um, you know, we encourage anybody to call us, to email us, um, to to go to our website, to contact me on Twitter. <laughs> you know, any which way, we are uh, open to what hearing from people. What is your Twitter people. handle? We could share that with it's, our listeners. Yeah, my Twitter handle is Anastasia underscore esq. Esquire. Yes. Yes. Okay. Got it. Um, now, I actually live in Massachusetts, and you probably know that we have a bill pending in our state legislature um, that would that's similar to the California law. It would only apply to public boards, um, so it would require, you know, with the governor when he makes those appointments um, mm. to balance the, the gender, and I, I believe also racial uh, mix of the people on the boards. But so how common is this? You mentioned Illinois. I know it's happening here in Massachusetts. Are there any other states that you know of that are passing measures like this or already have? So far, we've heard uh, about Illinois, New Jersey, and I had heard about Massachusetts. What's interesting is California, of course, it's just a straight women quota, but in other states, there has been, uh, it's been proposed that they add a racial component, and I thought it was interesting. In Illinois, you know, it started out um, that the mandate was going to be, you have to have at least one woman and at least one African-American. And then when the bill was going through the legislature, you know, other interest groups started haggling over, well, we want to have a spot reserved for our race as well. Yeah. And then, and then the other group speaks up and says, no, we don't think your group deserves it. And it just goes to show how ugly and messy this is when we start allowing the government to hand out benefits or burdens based on race. You get these arguments across race lines that just, you know, exacerbate racial tensions and, and create animosity um, based on racial lines. And it was such an ugly process to see. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you don't see that as much with gender because they're, you know, it's just women are 50% of the population. And I bet you're right that a lot of companies will just say, well, you know, it's not the end of the world. We'll just, we'll just comply with the law. And, um, you know, we don't actually have a lot to lose in terms of, well, maybe they do have a lot to lose in terms of corporate revenue. I don't know. I don't know how it, how it plays out. I would imagine you know, it's really just kind of facial, right? That it's it's all about marketing, and so maybe they maybe they can use it to their advantage and won't end up challenging it. But it does seem like somebody should because it, it raises so many issues of of equal protection, and especially when you get into the race aspect, I think it's it has even more serious implications. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's just, it's going to stay on the books under this, you know, it's supposed to be some happy, nice thing. And it's exactly what Governor Brown said. He said, well, we're just, we we think it's probably, you know, has some legal infirmities, but, uh, but 
states are not getting the message about female equality. And I guess I would ask what message it actually sends. To me, I was, I was, I thought it was horrible when it was passed. I was so offended when I read that, that the government, you know, it's so utterly patronizing to say, here, let us help you. You're not able to do it. Let us give you a leg up because you can't make it there on your own. When in fact, I think women are capable and are making it there on their own. Um, you know, it confirms women's worst fears that they're being discriminated against rather than empowering them and focusing on all uh, they're accomplishing in the absence of, of a handout. Right. Well, our, re- our listeners can, can read more about this issue um, if they go onto the Los Angeles Times website and look for your column, which I believe appeared on July 8th. And they could probably also find it on the website of the Pacific Legal Foundation. Is that right? That's right. You can uh, go to our blog and read more about you know our work in this area and other areas of constitutional law, and check out a link to our uh, to this article on the Pacific Legal blog. Awesome. And I also have a blog on the topic where where I quote your piece, um, which is on iwf.org. So we hope you learned something new from today's conversation. If you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, we would love it if you would take a moment to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. And please share this episode with your friends on social media. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, you're in control. I think, you think, she thinks.